as artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is supported by Trustonomy, an original podcast from OneTrust. Every good relationship you have, personal or business, it involves trust. But we all know that trust doesn't just happen, right? We've all lost trust in a friend or a brand or a product. Trustonomy is a new podcast that looks at true stories from the past to understand how trust works and what makes it stronger and how to rebuild it when it's broken. Now, you know, I'm a sucker for a good podcast that weaves historical stories and relates it to what's happening today. So I thoroughly enjoyed this Trustonomy episode and recommend that you check that out as well. Search for Trustonomy in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Many thanks to the One Trust team for their support. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. This is Michael Saka. Today I talked to Suzanne Steinbrecher, and she is a corporate mediator. And so what she does is help to facilitate conversations between co-founders, executives, board members, boards and CEOs. Uh, to help them work through issues uh, that have gotten to the point where they can no longer move forward. And so she gives us some tips and some things to do either beforehand to make sure that you're getting into business with the right person or during um, when you feel these tensions start to arise, uh, that she has some really great tips about what you can do to keep moving forward, which is the most important thing. So let's get into it. Customer.io is a modern email platform built for startups. It helps you send the right messages at the right time based on how your customers are using your app. Go to customer.io slash rocketship to start sending emails that convert.
All right, cool. So, um, Suzanne, give me kind of the introduction to, um, or maybe just the why, uh, why, why mediation, um, in, in your life? Why was this something that you wanted to pursue? Well, you know, honestly, I have a real passion for helping people come together and resolve issues and and have what I call the conversation that needs to be had. Mm. (laughs) People have a tendency to, uh, you know, think all these things in their head, but they don't sometimes either have the courage or they're very much in fear about, well, I'm not sure how to say this the right way. So things don't get said that should be said. Okay. And so the mediation is a way of bringing people together where you kind of pull out of each of the parties or depending on the number of people, sometimes it's two or more, you're bringing out their side of the story in a very objective uh, way. I mean, you're not making decisions on their behalf, but you're trying to get them to pull out what needs to be said and to have them gain the courage to do so. So I really wanted to facilitate that. So when you've done this um, you know, on the business side, um, what are some of the steps that you take uh, to kind of figure out what the real problem is um, that uh, maybe two or, or three people are having? Yeah, the first step in my mind is to talk to each party individually and confidentially to say, okay, what is going on? Why and why now do you think we have this issue? What is your perspective? What would you like this other person to understand that you don't feel they understand? You know, a series of questions, in other words, asked of each of the parties. That gives me an idea of where is the common ground? Because that's one of the things you're looking for as a mediator is where is our alignment where they may not even be aware of it? And where is our common ground that you can latch onto and say, everybody here agrees A, B, and C. So that's a given. The challenge seems to be over here and it just kind of keeps it cleaner. Each person also feels heard. They have the opportunity to really, you know, vent whatever they need to do. And then it's up to you to start talking about how there really is many things that there is alignment on. And we just want to focus on the areas that there's not to see if we can get agreement. Is that possible to do um, without a third party? Like if you were in a situation where, um, you know, you there was just tension building with your co-founder. Um, are there things that you can do to find that common ground? Yeah, there there really is. I find people sometimes are not skillful communicators, and that's where they run into the challenge. That's where it's often helpful to have kind of this objective person sure. who doesn't take sides. But certainly, a couple of things that I always suggest to people if they're going to get into it any relationship with, frankly, I mean, but right now we're talking business, but it's to, it's to have the values conversation. So what are your top five values? Why are those things most important to you? Um, because if there's not value alignment and some kind of common way of thinking, you know, we may have different strengths and, uh, and development opportunities, but the values alignment's pretty important. Uh, you know, what is it you want to do in this business? Why do you want to be in this business? Some of those questions are going to sniff out some of those values as well. And then I think the other thing that if they would be willing to do is what I call the expectations conversation. Okay. <laughs> That's another one of those things that is never stated. And I see it in managers with employees and new hires, and they just don't say, you know, here's what I expect of you. What do you expect of me? 
Um, and then the other thing I see that that clearly is a problem in small businesses um, when you have partners is not having very strong role clarification. So not everybody is going to not everybody is the CEO and can be the CEO. Even if you're equal shared equity partners, someone needs to play each of the roles, and everybody knows that's who's playing the role and, and, and is doing that role. So, and especially if you, if you get to a point where you don't have agreement on a decision, especially if it's a major decision, all of that stuff has to be worked out in advance or should be worked out in advance that even if we're 50-50 partners, the buck's going to stop with somebody at the end of the day and that the person's decision is going to rule at the end of the day and often that is the person assigned as that CEO. Okay. Yeah. And I've seen that a lot. We actually talked to one of the found, uh, one of the Techstars managers and mm-hmm. he described just assigning the CEO can be an extremely difficult situation. So For sure, because everybody wants the help. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're when we're in the middle of a conflict, um, what are some of the tactics that you use to help, you know, resolve this so that it doesn't continue to linger? Well, there's a couple tools that I use, and and I coach a lot of executives around the world, um, and I find myself often sharing this this information with those folks because they may be in conflict with a peer or with a a direct report or whatever that could be. And and first of all, you start with having an understanding that all of us as human beings have two primary sort of global needs. One is that need, that kind of ego need, and that is I want to feel valued, cared about, listened to, respected, those kinds of personal ego needs. That's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation that is also very important is we all have a practical need. So what, that, what I mean by that is if you have a question, you need an answer. If you have a problem, you need a solution. It's the bottom line reason you're in the conversation in the first place. So that also needs to be met. Now, the problem is, is people ignore the personal need side and try to just get down to business. Mm. <laughs> and that's where it blows up because... I'm going to share with you a six-step process that takes you from beginning to conversation to the end of conversation to meet that practical need side. But the gateway in to making sure that you're on the same page and that there's alignment and that there is respect and it feels like a very adult-to-adult, I call it problem-solving, co-created and collaborative conversation, you better have those personal needs met. Mm. So... To meet the personal needs, there's a tool I call the three golden rules. And that basically is to listen with empathy, not just listen, but really actively listen with an empathetic ear. Um, The second one is to involve that individual, you know, ask their opinions, their ideas, their thoughts. And the third is to make sure that you're not lowering self-esteem where appropriate, enhance it, but at least... Um, affirm or maintain that sense sense of pride or self-esteem. Those things are really your gateway to success here. And then 
there's a six-step process that I like to use to, 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 to meet that practical side. And the first is, you know, discuss the situation in a respectful manner. We're here to meet today because you and I are not on the same page on A, B, C, D, and E issue kind of thing. You want to be very, very specific. If there's dates involved, you know, on Tuesday we talked, on Wednesday we talked, on Thursday, whatever it is. So be very specific is that second step. The third is discuss how that conflict might impact you, the work group, the family, the business, whatever's involved. And then the fourth is to ask the person, what do you think is causing the conflict? What is your side of the story? What do you see are the issues? The fifth is to ask them for their ideas for the solution and then to be sure that you're kind of recapping that carefully and constantly checking for understanding, which is, again, an active listening technique. And then finally, you know, you're agreeing on actions to be taken. And then, of course, hopefully following up and kind of checking in later that all went well or went to plan. So those are a couple of tools, but they really need to be used together because you can imagine if you just use those six steps without esteeming and listening and being empathetic and doing all those things, it's going to sound pretty curt and dry. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> the other creates this much more, again, collaborative approach. Do you find that a lot of these situations are business related or do they stem from a personal um, disagreement or something that's happening more on the emotional relationship side? Yeah, that's an excellent question because I, I really, I have this saying that people think I'm crazy, but I say that we're really just babies walking around in big bodies. <laughs> really, we really, really are. I mean, 90% of an issue is typically emotion and about 10% logic. And if you don't believe that, I'd like you to think of any conflict you've ever had and tell me that one of those three personal needs were not, you know, were not met, right? Mm -hmm. And usually the conflict will be, I didn't feel involved, like no one asked my opinion, no one asked for my ideas, I wasn't involved, I wasn't asked, I wasn't asked to participate, or I felt like my self-esteem was lowered, or I wasn't valued as a person, um, or... Uh, there was no empathy or active listening going on. And, and typically any conflict you can think of will go back to one of those three, if not a combination of those three needs not being met. So that's the emotional side to your point. And that is often what's at the root. It's, it's rarely a fundamental business issue. It's typically history, uh, situations that have happened in the past and you think something that happened 10 years ago is gone. Guess what? It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it all gets brought up into this conversation. <laughs> right. and, and, you know, we think we're adults and that we're going to go beyond that, but we really are babies and big bodies. I mean, so we're just walking around wanting our personal needs met at the end of the day. Do you have an example of a conflict that you've resolved in the workplace that you could tell us about? Yes. I mean, I think this one that really always pops up in my mind because it was a really tough situation and it was um, a mediation that I was asked to do between the CEO and the chairman of the board. Mm. And the problem with this is that the company was really beginning to suffer because people were just taking sides, frankly. Okay. And what really elevated that and made it even worse, it was a father-son situation. Yeah. So yeah. very delicate. So I, I interviewed each one individually and asked, you know, what was happening again from their perspective? What would they like to see happen differently? Why do they feel they're having the conflict with the other? 
you know, um, how indicative is this behavior issue in the workplace? How is it impacting home life? You know, all that kind of stuff. Ask both of them the same types of questions. I also did some assessments so that I could begin to show them their different personalities and how they really are an opposite page of, of, of personality style, but then how to leverage that difference versus go crazy with it. And we, we went in, met with each one of them individually over a series of meetings, ran assessments, debriefed it, brought them together in a mediation. And we really came down to simple things that, you know, one of the things the son said, my dad drives me crazy when he'll bring something up and I'll answer it and he'll keep bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up. And it was just causing the son, you know, it sounds as silly again as that is, but he's like, I know, I mean, you've said it once, I don't, you need to say it 10 times. So we literally... They came up with a hand signal and his dad was very extroverted, not realizing he's doing this thinking out loud. So he's repeating his son was very introverted who processes information internally once was enough for the son. Okay. So the son basically showed a hand signal when he was trying to say to his dad, I got it. And then his dad began to understand you know, if you're not feeling confident your son got it, then ask him in a nice, you know, very professional way, tell me what you understand the next step to be so that I know we're on the same page. And was he doing this in front of the board or in front of the company? Sometimes. Yeah. And again, no no maliciousness or, or malintent here. And I think that's a really important piece. And that's one of the things I really needed to sniff out from the beginning was, you know, is there poor intention here, which there rarely is. It's often people just do what they do. They don't know any better. Because I, I definitely believe that nobody jumps out of bed in the morning with the intention to disappoint another person. I mean, right. this is just not how this works. But they were running into all these conflicts because they had very different personality styles, very different listening styles. And we had to educate that, bridge that, and come up with specific ways in which they did. And they actually did very, very well together after that. Nice, nice. So the hand signal worked and it, did. it was really about them understanding that emotional side of their relationship. Correct. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And then, of course, the son was feeling a little bit like, okay, quote unquote, dad, I got it, right? <laughs> right. It wasn't just boss, I got it. It was kind of like dad, I got it. And of course, that brought up all kinds of stuff. Which I, yeah. Uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I think we can all relate to that in, in yeah. some level. Yeah. Yes. So what are some tips that you have for boosting your own emotional intelligence? That's, that's great too, because, you know, we do emotional intelligence assessments so that we can clearly see where the person has strengths and where they have opportunities. And then we have a number of experiences and exercises that we ask people to do, uh, depending on where they ran in some deficiency space. But honestly, what, what we do is a lot of sort of soul searching work. And like, if it's a lack of empathy as an example, it's practicing what that is. And, you know, what would a behavior of empathy look like and actually baby step practicing to make it um, as comfortable and easy at first, until they started getting into the habit of that. Um, so that as an example, that's one, there's also ones around like one of the things that our assessment checks is, are you even aware 
of the emotion going on with this person, let's say across the desk from you? Mm -hmm. What are you even tuned in to the body language, the tone and everything else? So we, we show them to go into a meeting, let's say highly focused on observing other people's behavior. So if it's not second nature to you, you've got to practice that. And so actually picking a certain day, a time, a person, key in on them. What did you learn? What did you notice that you hadn't noticed before? When they realize the positive impact, they realize the wind of doing that because they're so much more in tune to the person now. Um, then they realize, hey, okay, there's really something to this. Okay. <laughs> so there's just a number of things that you can do like that. And how about on the kind of the flip side where – you're managing your reactions to people because that's something that we often have the most control over, but also the least control. Yeah, over. you're exactly right. <laughs> that's a great way to put it. The most and the least. Well, that's an, that is another area of EQ that we assess is how are you in terms of your own emotional state? So, for example, I had a very senior executive at a Fortune 20 company say to me, can you help me so that when I hear, when I hear somebody say something really stupid across the table from where I don't want to jump over the table and strangle the guy? I'm like, yeah, wow, yeah, we better work on that. How's that working for you? It's not. Okay, great. Let's talk about it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, really, the truth is, is in this case, it was, okay, so know that it's an inside job. What I mean by that is, is everybody wants to say, well, that person does this and says that and that pisses me off or whatever it is. It's like, no, you're being triggered emotionally and that's your stuff and never their stuff because you're the one that's being triggered. Somebody else would look, look, look at that behavior and think it's no big deal, but it's a big deal to you, which right. has nothing to do with them and with you. So we basically walk them through the inside job stuff and say, listen, the first step is to get conscious and aware of how you're feeling at the moment something is going on. And then there is what I call prevention and intervention techniques. So the intervention is, okay, what do you have to do? Take deep breaths, count to 10, by time by saying something like tell me more so that you can regain some composure before okay. you say something you're going to regret those kinds of tools um, help when you're in the moment when you're realizing boy I am really getting upset and I've got to figure out how to flip the switch here mm -hmm. the prevention of, of getting triggered so quickly I mean, there's a number of things one can do but one of the things I always recommend is a meditation um, because to me, the more that you meditate, uh, and I like HeartMath's work, um, uh, I work with um, HeartMath System, where they really talk to you about you know, what's going on physiologically in the body and how do you calm your system down. We all know we do not do our best thinking when we're upset. I mean, right. we're, we're literally emotionally hijacked. The amygdala, that part of the brain is in full control and the prefrontal cortex, which is the critical thinking skills, is shut down, frankly. Interesting. Um, so what I teach people is if you can do some meditation, then it's, it's like, let's say you're, you're trying to build arm strength and you pick up a pair of dumbbells. Well, the first time you pick up those dumbbells, you know, let's say for a woman, for example, if you've never lifted weights before, you might start with a, an eight or a 10 pound dumbbell and then move up to 15, 20 or whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason that's important is you're, you're building strength so that when you need it, i.e., I've got to lift a heavy box, it's, it's effortless because you have the strength to do it. You've built this reserve. 
Whereas if you didn't do that and you all of a sudden have to lift a heavy box, it's going to be really hard. Well, this is the same thing. If you build that sort of emotional capability by doing something like meditating on a frequent basis and getting very conscious about your behavior, then when something happens, it's not going to be so heavy. Right, <laughs> uh, right. It will be much easier to navigate through. And so, you know, in that example where the CEO just wanted to jump across the table, um, there was probably something in there that um, was like his instinct was correct, right? Like, um, maybe it was a bad idea. Um, but right. when you're, when you're teaching that emotional intelligence, um, is there a component in there to not ignore it, but just to learn how to properly handle that situation without allowing that situation to, I don't know, you know, accept that idea that may, you know, derail the company or is just kind of out of line? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you don't want the really bad idea or the big mistake to happen just for the sake of keeping the peace. So, you know, that really is even more problematic, frankly. Right. Uh, really, it is. It's more dangerous for a company to have that, frankly. Uh, so, yes, it's it's how you do it. So when you're having the conversation and you are realizing you're getting upset, you got to get yourself in control first. And that is where the deep breaths and the kind of counting to 10 and saying, tell me more. And, you know, why is that important to you? Reflective listening. Like I can tell that you're very passionate about that. I can tell that matters a lot to you. You don't have to agree with somebody to empathize with them. So it's going back to using those, those golden rules again. The more that you use those three golden rules. So let's say, for example, um, I would say, okay, Michael, I can tell that's very important to you. Can you share with me why that's so important to you? I really genuinely want to hear that message. Okay. Or, you know, you you are such a contributor to the team. I, you know, I really want to hear the idea here. And then when you've done those, when you use the golden rules with people and you really maintain that self-esteem and those other factors and, and their personal needs are met, they're going to calm down. They're going to calm way down. And now you can actually say, I can appreciate why that's so important to you. I've got to be honest with you to say, I don't see that happening and here's why. Okay. They may not like it, but they'll respect you because you really maintained their personal needs throughout that dialogue and were very respectful. And they're more apt to get on board much quicker. And probably have that next idea. Exactly. Right. You don't want to squelch good ideas. Absolutely right. right. So let's talk a bit about um, qualities in a co-founder and maybe even if you had any advice on what to do before jumping into bed with someone in business. Yeah, I think uh, the co-founder thing is really tricky. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It It really is. And this is where, again, this is where before you do that, I want to go back to some of the things I brought up because it's so important to have the values conversation. Why do we want to be in business together? What do you think we're going to be able to create create collectively and collaboratively that each one of us cannot create on our own? Mm. Why? What do we think is? What do we have as our outcome for this? What is your What is your passion around this business? Where? What would you say are your strengths? What would you say we all have them? What are the areas of opportunity that you know you're not good at? Um, It's just being open and honest with those kinds of things. Like maybe one person is. You know what? I've got the checkbook, 
but I don't know anything about that particular thing. I'll provide the money. You know, right. someone else needs to run it. Or I'm pretty good at this part. I would want to focus on that part. Um, and getting, you know, the financial part really squared away, values alignment squared away, expectation conversation squared away, and clear rules and roles and responsibility and, and who, you know, org charts have to be mapped out where everybody understands because it's crazy making for employees in a small business when there's two founders um, because they don't know who to go to for what. Then it becomes good cop, bad cop, mom and dad, you know, yep. and, and they have to be aligned and have to provide a united front. And if they've got disagreement, that's got to be behind closed doors and not in front of everybody else. I've experienced all of that. So yeah, that's <laughs> learning the hard way. Um, yeah. So are there ways to um, discover some of those red flags and and even be confident that it's okay to walk away from that situation yeah i mean i think if you even open the conversation to say listen i'm willing to explore this opportunity you're willing to explore this opportunity neither one of us right now know whether it's going to be the right fit Mm -hmm. whether we're going to be the right fit or match can we explore that first and foremost before we make any decisions to basically partner together because I think it's going to be important to do that. And then I do think it is, t- tell me, again, it's answering the questions, those kind of questions um, that, I, that I spoke of, and then, of course, many more. But it's literally sitting down and doing that. I would also recommend that they get you know, an advisor or kind of a third-party objective person okay. to kind of come in, and whether that's a consultant or business consultant or small business or somebody. It would be worth the time and money for someone to kind of facilitate some of those discussions to be sure that things really are on the same page, that both parties are speaking out openly, honestly, the paperwork is crafted the right way. Mm -hmm. It'd be worth it. I I think people think they can do everything themselves, but you know, they're kind of close, right? <laughs> to, you know, especially in the beginning, it'd be worth a couple of hours of somebody's time just to say, let's, let's facilitate this discussion together even. Right. Okay. Right. And I those are the things helpful. that we don't do, especially in the startup world where we just build and in the weekend, you can have a product that could potentially make money. Um, doing this is often pushed down the line. Yes, um, and that's what I've always experienced. Is if we push this down the line, and then when we need to do it, it's almost too late. It's uh, too late. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I will tell you, I I had um, because I have a co-author of a book, and sometimes um, in my book, Heart Centered Leadership, that the, we just released the second edition to my co-author and I. You know, we had challenges along the way, but you know what? The good news is he has strengths. I don't and vice versa. And we able to work with that beautifully, but I did have somebody come to me who was about ready to co-author and she was smart. She says, Hey, would you be willing to sit down and talk to both of us about, you know, the ins and outs, trials and tribulations, things we need to be aware of. So I did, I sat down and I said, okay, here's the three things I learned. Um, and I, if I was to do this again, I would do it a little differently And they said, okay, cool. And so now they didn't take any of the advice and it ended up in lawsuits and everything else because unfortunately a really bad situation for both of them. But, but, but she was smart enough to say, come in and talk to us both at the same time. Mm. And so that they could hear just from my perspective only what I learned about the journey of a, of a a co-author, which is really the same as a business partner. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about a little bit about your book. Um, 
what do we learn when when we read it and um even like who who is it written for yeah heart-centered leadership is basically a leadership book it's written more in the context of business but i do many many speaking engagements around it or workshops and everything else and what i always say to the audience is whether they're whether they're leaders of people or not we're all leaders of self we're leaders of our home family communities church whatever that is so i um Basically, as an executive coach, working with the absolute best of the best and sometimes those that were not, (laughs) um, I learned, you know, patterns of success. And I remember walking out one day and saying, just shaking my head and said, gosh, if leaders could just get these eight things. And I literally (laughs) took out a piece of paper and wrote it down. Well, the eight became seven. (laughs) Those seven things are the principles of heart-centered leadership. And that's what we talk about in the book. And we talk about, you know, if you take really good care of your associates, they'll take great care of your customer. Your customer's going to take care of your profitability. And that is the way to go about this journey. And um, we espoused that and we provided a lot of research to the most successful companies embrace that. And why they're successful, and all of that is all in the book. Interesting. And so, um, you mentioned before that this is the second edition. What led you to release um, the second edition? What was going on? Yeah, thank you. you. Um, when the first edition was written was a decade ago, and people said to me, "You've lost your mind." I mean, there's no, <laughs> there's nothing out there that has the word heart and leadership in the same sentence, which is really <laughs> sad. And I said, "Well, I know. That's why I'm writing this." It's right. <laughs> It needs to be. The word heart and leadership needs to be in the same sentence. Um, now there's thousands of books going at, coming out with the word heart and leadership in the same sentence. Uh, <laughs> so we were really one of the first pioneers in the concept of you actually have more profitable businesses when you lead this way. So because we saw sort of the influx of them and we saw that there was more appetite for people because frankly, people are just exhausted. They're really struggling in corporate America and that, you know, they just trying to figure it out. And so we thought, listen, you know, here's your roadmap. Right. So we brought it back out and said, now let's update research and case studies and everything else where people have adopted the seven principles of heart center leadership and it's working and we can give those testimonials and case studies. Fascinating. Yeah. So where do we, where do we buy the book and where do we keep up with you um, online? Yeah, thank you. There's a number of ways, really. So Steinbrecher.com is um, my last name, S-T-E-I-N-B-R-E-C-H-E-R. Steinbrecher.com is our website. We also have a website that is heartcenteredleadership.com. So anything around the book, certainly you can go directly to that. You can also get to that through Steinbrecher.com as well. Very nice. Well, thank you so much. And um yeah, we we really appreciate your time. You're welcome. And we're, we're also involved in all kinds of social media and stuff. If you get to our website, you'll see all the, the tags and you can jump on. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> we like that. So <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for your time. This has been really a pleasure to talk with you today. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And be sure to check out our app discount section where we have discounts on products that we use every day like Woo Themes, Wistia, Treehouse. Go to rocketship.fm forward slash essentials and get your discounts today. Let me escape in your arms, baby.